What's up, guys? Gold Standard Podheads out there. Quick addendum and a note here on the front end of the show. Adam and I tend to talk a whole lot, and we talk so much about the expectations that we all should have for this Nashville Predators roster on the podcast. And because he's going on vacation, it was so much content that we thought we'd split it up into two podcasts. You are going to get two full episodes, part one and part two, about the expectations that you, the fans, should have for the Nashville Predators coming up next season. So without further ado, and now that I've got the addendum out of the way, part one of setting the expectations for the Nashville Predators in John Hines' first season, right here on The Gold Standard. Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network, your Nashville Predators podcast. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And I'm Adam Vingan, where you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Vingan. That is correct. And of course, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe the show. Share and tell everybody about the product. That's how we grow this thing. And obviously, pay for good journalism. It's a couple of bucks a month. You'll get great content like folks from like folks like Adam, as well as basically any other team in the country that you'd want to have on your on your phone or on your computer. So great coverage, pay for good journalism, go to The Athletic, subscribe. Adam, today is going to be about projections and expectations for the Nashville Predators moving forward, and frankly, the NHL season. (laughs) The NHL season as well, because we're not 100% sure what that's even going to look like. So we're going to look at what, we're going to project what we think expectations should be for the Nashville Predators in John Hines' first full season look at some of the players, maybe project and and look at expectations for some of the players as well as the team. Look at what David Poyle could do with a bunch of extra salary cap space. Piece up on The Athletic, by the way, about that, where the the, the David Poyle could use and could go after some pieces with that extra salary cap space. So we're going to do a lot of that stuff. We'll look at the odds and and where this team is projected according to Vegas. Uh, But let's start, Adam, today first with just what, what exactly do you think the NHL season is going to look like? And it, and it will all be in 2021, so we don't really have to say, thank God, the 2020-2021 season, which right. is just a whole lot of 20s. Well, I remember that when when the lockout happened, the most recent lockout in 2012-2013. I will never refer to that season as the 2012-2013 season because there was no part of it that was played in 2012. So <laughs> it was the 2013 season. So this would be, in effect, the 2021 season. Now, the NHL... Uh, has said most recently that their intention is to have a start date around January 1st. Unfortunately, our idea, which I believe we've previously discussed, of opening the season with the Winter Classic is no longer on the table, as the NHL recently announced that the Winter Classic, which was scheduled to be the St. Louis Blues versus the Minnesota Wild at Target Field, the home of the Minnesota Twins, that game has been canceled or at least postponed in the sense that they are hoping to get Minnesota another winter classic once things return to normal. Sad face. Yes. So it's possible it still could be January 1st or around there, but you know, there is also some scuttlebutt, which is a great word, by the way. It is. There is some scuttlebutt that it could be mid-January or even closer to February. Um, if the NHL is... Um, if the NHL is set on getting back to a normal 82-game schedule that starts in October and ends in April, um, as is normally the case, um, 
I can't see a scenario in which this coming season is 82 games. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Just logistically, it's not possible, right? right? So I could see uh, a 60-plus game season. You know, I think the uh, I think the lockout season I referenced in 2013 was a 48 game season. I think that would be the bare minimum the NHL would want to do. Um, I I think somewhere between 55 and 60 games seems reasonable if they want to get um, if they want to get uh, the season done and the Stanley Cup awarded in the summer, um, whether in June or July. Um, so it's, it's hard to say. And even, and even we, we don't even know what the divisions might look like. I mean, there has been talk, um, of an all Canadian division, uh, because of the travel restrictions between Canada and the United States, um, which would, which would sort of cause a, well, it would cause a, a, a realignment of sorts, yeah. a more geographical re- realignment, uh, for this coming season. Welcome to the Western Conference, Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have the I don't have the proposed uh, divisions in front of me. Or no, I'm just that's I, that's the, to me that's the logical teams. Take, right. take all the southeastern teams and put them in with Nashville. Right. So move I, Nashville I, to the east, maybe. How about but that? But I think they would. I think teams like Carolina, like Tampa, like Florida would be in the same division as Nashville. Right. I think they would want to minimize the amount of travel. Yeah. in terms of how far teams would have to go to play each other. So there are still a lot of questions as to what the season might look like. Um, I think what we can say fairly definitively is that this will not be an 82-game season. Um, this season will not look like uh, a normal season. I think the earliest we could return to normal is the 2021-22 season. So... It is still up in the air as to what next season will look like or even when it's going to start because January 1st is the target date, but yeah. first it was around December 1st, which was then moved to January 1st. So Yeah, I, I think it's the same message for all sports fans in 2020, which is he who is flexible shall not be bent out of shape. Hmm. And the hard out is an industry term, right? At the top of, a, of an hour of a radio show when there's a hard out, meaning there's the show's going to go to break whether the host is talking or not. The hard out is the start of training camp next year, right? Like like you said, that's the hard out. You, you can't move that one. If you want to get back to an 82-game season, you have to have all of that in place like normal. There is some wiggle room on the back end, like you said, June or July. You could You could push it a little bit. Shorten the offseason a little bit, but not too much because you want to give time for players to recover. And I, I have you, you've seen this, and this is sort of an aside here, but being in the locker room at the end of the Stanley Cup final, near the end of the Stanley Cup final, in the Predators locker room when they played Pittsburgh, the, the, I don't know how to explain this, like the eyes are sunken in your face. <laughs> like as a player, you, you can tell when a player is, has gone through three full rounds of the playoffs. Like, you can look them in their face, and you can see how exhausted, how mentally and physically drained their bodies are. So I'm not... They're professionals. They get paid millions of dollars. They should come back ready to go if they get a couple of months off. I get that. But I will say that. That's the first time I'd ever been in a... I don't know how many Stanley Cup finals you've covered, Adam. Just one. But I've only covered one in my entire career, and that's the only time I've ever been in a locker room where I looked at, like, Ryan Ellis, and I was like, Ryan, like, you... Now, I know he obviously had a major injury that, that year. 
But I just was like, dude, you, <laughs> like you need to get some rest. <laughs> you need to get some relaxation. So uh, they, they just put their bodies through hell to get to that point. And so you got to give them some normalcy in the offseason. So I'm with you. 60, 50, 60 games is fine. I have an asterisk in my head on ne- next to everything in 2020, now maybe even 2021. So he who is flexible, my message to people would be he who is flexible shall not be bent out of shape. And it's it will be interesting to see if – uh, the NHL implements a sort of soft bubble environment. I, I can't imagine, and I and I think it's not being considered, at least according to some of my national colleagues, of having similar bubble environments as they had during the postseason. That's just an untenable situation for a full regular season. Yeah, but I I think there's this idea that there might be hub cities for each respective division and that teams would come in, they'd stay for a couple weeks, they'd play their games, then they'd go home, maybe have a week off, practice, then go back out. So so it, they wouldn't be locked down as they were during the postseason. Um, but it's hard for me to imagine uh, Bridgestone Arena uh, being – I, I, I have a hard time imagining Bridgestone Arena being uh, filled with any sort of fans in the in the immediate future. Um, I know the NHL wants to have fans in the building as soon as they can, of course. Um, and um, perhaps there's a situation like we've seen in the NFL where it starts with no fans and then as things right. progress, maybe they add. The, but and the big difference being one is it's indoors. indoors. That's a, yes. It's a huge, that's a huge problem. Right. Um, and like right now, I'm not going to lie, I don't know how many people would go. Like even if you had every ticket available and you could sell every ticket right now and the Preds were playing in a game, I don't know, I don't think you would sell it out. And that's not a knock on the Preds. I just think that's where people's heads are at right, right. now. Right. I personally, I mean, it's different for me, um, of course, being a working member of the press, but as a fan, personally, I would not feel comfortable no attending yeah. a, a game indoors, even if NFL-style protocol is put into place, like limited capacity. Um, no no touch concessions, that no kind of No touch stuff. concessions, yeah. mandatory face coverings. Yeah. The, you know, the idea that... You know, you you sit with your with your group, and then you're socially distanced from the next group. You're still inside, but you're still, you're still inside. inside. It, it just doesn't well. seem like a, a good idea. Um, unfortunately, uh, that might be construed as a political statement, which it clearly isn't. Um, but I would not feel comfortable attending a game. And and it sucks because I'm a sports fan too. Like I, as a fan, enjoy oh, yeah. going to sports. I the idea of attending a sporting event or any sort of event that involves people and strangers being uh, housed in close quarters does not sound uh, particularly uh, appealing to me. No, until there is a vaccine. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. So we we, we t- and again we not to get off on a tangent here. We took our kids to boo at the zoo down at the Nashville Zoo, and it's we we got to a point where we like like walked up to the one section where there's like a big, huge field and they had like music going and people were very spaced out and it was comfortable. And we kind of looked at the merry-go-round and my wife and I like, we were like, Oh, let's let's go check out the merry-go-round. And then my wife and I stopped immediately after like four steps, looked at it, watched a whole group of people go onto the merry-go-round, merry-go-round. And then a whole group of people go off the merry-go-round. And we looked at each other and we were like, Nope, (laughs) we're we're not doing that one. So there's just, 
there's going to have to be some element of, uh, you know, allowing your own self and allowing people around you to get back into those rhythms and routines and comfort zones on their own time. Like you can't tell somebody else how to be comfortable. If you want to call me a Corona bro, that's fine. But like, I'm not, I'm not comfortable right now being inside a Bridgestone arena with 18,000 people. Like just no chance. Right. I want to do that. But I, th- some people might, and you know, hopefully they're being smart and, and cautious uh, about this. I do want to say a, a quick disclaimer here on the program. You're, you're about to go on vacation and we More are re- like a staycation, a staycation, which is cool. That's what you're supposed to do in 2020. Uh, but you, you're doing that, and I want to make sure that by the time people hear this, all of our projections on what the season could be could be out of date. So I just want to make sure that people know that we're recording this uh, the last week of October and that you're about to go on vacation so that if the odds change or if the NHL announces something that we've covered our asses, basically. Yes. Is what I want to do. It's all about covering your ass in this <laughs> business. Yes, no question. Um, so I, I do think it's important – that early on in this conversation about next season that we make people aware that it's going to look very different. It's not going to look normal. Um, and, and that doesn't change how you should evaluate the play of Philip Forsberg or Ryan Johansson or the coaching of John Hines or right. Like it's still, whether it's 60 games or 82 games, I'm not sure it matters. I feel, I still think everything is on the table to sort of be normal because if you have a normal training camp and a normal playoff, so what if you cut 20 games out of the middle? Right, like it doesn't. It's not like this I mean, year I where think it is the different. The NHL right? season is too long to begin with. I think eighty-two games is. I think eighty-two games are more than enough. I, I, I've. Always, <laughs> I mean, I've been a fan. I mean, I would if I had my. It sounds like as someone who goes to eighty-two games. <laughs> right, as someone who covers. You know, I remember one year at the Tennessee, and I, I think I was. I attended seventy-six of eighty-two wow. regular season games, and that you know, after a while, it's just like it's a lot of work. Do I really want to be in Ottawa in a in February on a Tuesday. <laughs> What's the coldest? Uh, wasn't it last year when they were in Winnipeg and it was like negative 20 or something? I, I did like not that? make the sojourn to Winnipeg last season, uh, but I believe it might have been my last season at the Tennessean or maybe the season before. It was this really weird scheduling quirk where they ended a road trip in early January in Winnipeg. And then a week later, they started a road trip back in Winnipeg. So I was in Winnipeg on like consecutive Wednesdays or Thursdays in January. (laughs) And it was like negative 10 Fahrenheit at night. And, you know, I I made a a short walk to to dinner nearby the hotel that I'd like to stay at. And my face went numb after like two or three minutes. So that that's probably the the coldest I have experienced. Something Tennesseans have no experience with having to wrap their entire face to walk a couple of blocks down the street. Well, maybe it's my, maybe it's because I've lived in the South long enough and don't expect those temperatures because I didn't wrap my face like I had ah. a hat on. I had a hat on, but I didn't wrap my face. Yeah, you got to You got to go with the scarf, man. Well, plus you're like a hipster. You should have plenty of scarves. I'm not a scarf guy. I'm not a scarf guy. But I did buy. <laughs> I did. I, I don't know. I can't remember what the technical term for it is, but I bought one of those North Face like pullover face coverings that makes you look like a burglar. Where you pull <laughs> you pull it over your head, and there's like a little opening where your eyes are, but it yes, but it, yes. it covers your nose and it's your probably, forehead. It's probably for skiing and snowboarding. Probably. It has a name that sounds like Bala Koala, which is what I call it. Aren't I'm they? Not, aren't they just gate? Aren't they called gators? No, I. The, That's the I, one you pull up. The 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 one at the North Face that I bought last winter 
had some other sort of name that I couldn't pronounce, the, but I just call it my Bala Koala. The, these are the issues when, and I'm from Wisconsin originally, so I, I actually grew up playing hockey and I like the cold weather, but I've been in the South. I since, like the cold weather too. Yeah, I'm we, just yeah, not we both prepared like, for very cold weather. We have just, this is the problem though with two people who have been acclimated to the South and now have lived in the South for most of their life. Like I've lived in the South since I was five or six years old. And so I've now acclimated to it. And so if we were... This is where if we had, you know, somebody who was like, you know, born and raised in British Columbia, they would have all these names ready to go off the top of their, like they'd have strategies. And this is where you have two guys that live in Nashville trying to talk about cold weather, where we just sort of don't have the same life experience no, as some of those not. guys from Canada. No, we do not. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's, let's take a look at, and you can follow along, glance at the article on The Athletic before we get to actual expectations for the Nashville Predators in 2021, I should say. And, and what we expect from certain players, and we look at the odds. Before we do that, I, I you wrote a piece and sort of in conjunction with a bunch of other people on the website at, at The Athletic about um, what the salary cap space could be like for the Predators and where they could find opportunity. Now, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to let you explain it all. But I saw the name Marsha Schalt on there, mm-hmm. and I just I immediately perked up. Because that, that's exciting to me. I don't know how reasonable it is to expect the Predators to make a big move like that to try to go get somebody that they can acquire cheap because they have cap space and other teams do not. So you can explain all of that. But I saw that name and I immediately thought, ooh, that could be fun. So the Predators are – so let's start from the beginning, of course. The, I want to go right to acquiring the, the, the scoring <laughs> winger. That's what I want. The, my colleague at The Athletic, James Myrtle, based in Toronto uh, – covers the Maple Leafs, but also functions as a national columnist from time to time, did a story recently where he broke down uh, each team's salary cap situation and he put them into certain tiers. Uh, The Predators, according to James and his projections, which are simply based off of what Cap Friendly has as well as any unsigned players. So he takes into account the projected cap hit for Luke Cunnan, who is still unsigned. You know, the Predators are among the teams with the most projected salary cap space left in the league. They have more than $10 million in salary cap space, which puts them in an enviable position, um, as well as a position of strength when it comes to negotiating potential trades. Because there are several teams in the NHL who are in the complete opposite position where they have no cap space or very little cap space. Um, the three teams that James identified as being in the worst shape um, were the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the New York Islanders. Um, three teams that came very close to Cups, yes. one, one who won it. So this is very similar, if you don't follow those teams, this is very similar to what the Nashville Predators have just gone through. You, you get to a Cup, you almost win it, and then end up in salary cap trouble because you've paid a lot of people a lot of money, right? right. So Essentially? Yes. So the Tampa Bay Lightning are in the worst shape. They have a lot of high-salaried high players, uh, many of whom have trade protection of some kind, uh, but they have multiple young players who need new contracts, particularly Anthony Sorelli and Mikhail Sergachev, um, you know, who figure to be uh, a significant part of the Lightning's future. So they're so they are in a situation where they are going to need to shed salary and they are going to have to get rid of players who are still productive and still popular uh, among their fan base. 
Um, so not yeah. a Kyle Turrish right. type player. You're talking you know, about someone who's still good, but just too expensive. Right. So, you know, for example, early on in, you know, in the offseason, well, early on, at uh, well, closing in, it wasn't early on in the offseason, but near the beginning of free agency, the, the Lightning placed Tyler Johnson on waivers. He has four years left on this contract with $5 million cap hit. They could find no takers to, for a trade, and he had trade protection, so they waived him. Um, so no team was willing to take Tyler Johnson for free, basically free in the sense that they wouldn't have to give up an asset, but they would have to absorb his contract. But there are other players on that team, uh, who are appealing. And the two that I, I pointed out, um, with the help of my colleague in Tampa, Joe Smith, were Alex Kalorn and Yanni Gord. Um, you know, they are, they are players who, um, are quite productive. Uh, Kalorn had, I think, a career-high 26 goals this past season. Gord had a 70-plus point season, I think it was, a couple of years ago. And very good in the postseason. And he was very good in the postseason. Um, you know, these are the types of players that normally wouldn't be available. But the Predators are in a position where they can acquire one of them if they so, cho- if they so choose and not have to give up a whole lot to do so because – the Lightning are the team that needs the space. So Alex Kalorn, right. for example, under normal circumstances, might fetch might require a significant return. That might not be the case this time. They might be willing to, to an extent, give him away. You know, you wouldn't have to give up a high draft pick, or a fir- you know, you wouldn't have to give up a first round draft pick to get Alex Kalorn. You know, you might not even have to give up a second round draft pick. You might have to give up a, you know, a mid round draft pick or a B level prospect or something. You know, the Predators are in a position where they can take advantage of other teams. You mentioned the Vegas Golden Knights. They were in a position where they had to give away Nate Schmidt for a third round draft pick to Vancouver so that they could sign Alex Petrangelo. Um, well, they signed Alex Petrangelo and then made the move to clear the space. Sixty, Almost $62 million right. contract. And earlier, uh, before the, they signed Petrangelo, they traded Paul Stastny for pennies on the dollar. So they had to get, So they are in less need of a, of yeah. a move. But Elliot Freeman of Sportsnet in his most recent 31 Thoughts column uh, reported that there were teams that were wondering before the Knights made the Schmidt trade if the Predators might go after Jonathan Marcheseau, who has a $5 million cap hit for the next four years, but is clearly an upgrade over anybody who could be playing That's, on that second line a, as a winger. I, I know the two the two cats for the Lightning are good. They're, they're good. The, the Mar- He's the one who gets me fired up. He's the one who turns me on a little bit, <laughs> gets me excited. I, I don't. To your point, I don't think the Vegas Knights are going to be in the position to dump him. A quick observation here before we move forward, and that is whether or not David Poyle's moves to change this team work and find them successful in the postseason, that that remains to be seen. We will judge David Poyle's decision to do that based on, of course, what happens on the ice. But if you're talking about right now today, they have gone from one end of the spectrum to the other as far as flexibility in the salary cap, which is where David Poyle likes to live because he likes to have the ability to make moves when he wants to. So whether it works or not, we don't know. But as of right now, they are in a far better situation because when they had Turris, when they had Grandland, when they had all these guys, they were one of these teams. And I and I, I don't, you know, I'm kind of overstating the obvious here, but they have made a huge shift in that department, which is they can now be a player again. Yes. Which is where David Poyle likes to be. Yes, and they could they could trade 
You know, the other team I mentioned in this particular story, story was the New York Islanders, who have cap space right now, but the majority of it is going to go to Matthew Barzal, who is a restricted free agent, and Ryan Pollock, who is also a restricted free agent. And they have bad contracts that they need to get rid of, unlike the Lightning, for example, who have productive players who they might have to get rid of. The Lightning, or I mean, excuse me, the, the Islanders are trying to get rid of overpriced veterans like Andrew Ladd or Johnny Boychuk or Leo Komarov. But one an, one thing that you can do with cap space, other than acquiring immediate help, is acquiring future assets. You know, the Predators, for you know, for example, you know, could take on and you know Leo Komarov, who has I think two years left on his contract with a three million dollar cap hit, and they could get a first round pick out of it, or they could get a top prospect out of it. So it's not even just about finding immediate help. The Predators are in a position where they can take on a bad contract and reap the rewards in the future with an extra with an extra draft pick or multiple prospects. Um, so that's another avenue that they could yeah. go down. Um, you know, they could still be players in the free agent market. Um, if they so, if they so chose to do so, they could also save it for an in season move. They could use that money to acquire a high price player in season. If something doesn't work out, so regardless of what the Predators do, they are in a very good position right now to take advantage of the fact that they have some of the most, you know, some of the most cap space in the league. Do you think there's a move coming? We're in the, this is a projection podcast. I would be mildly surprised if David Poyle does not make another move with this cap space. I don't know when it would happen and I don't know what it would be, but sitting on all of that cap space to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think that there is still at least one more move up David's sleeve. I, like I said, I don't know if it would be signing Mike Hoffman, for example, or trading for Alex Kalorn, for example, or holding on to it and maybe making a move early in the season. If something happens, a player gets injured, they need a little extra after going through training camp. But I, I have a hard time believing that the roster today is what it's going to be on opening night, whenever that is. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, and I for some reason, if we're talking about, and we just got done explaining how this season could look very different, right? It could be 50 games, it could be 55 games, which means the trade deadline's going to be in a different place, and it's going to function in a different way. I, I really, if you're going to have that much cap space and use it for something, I know that the idea behind stashing that space for the trade deadline is to find out where your team is first before you make a big move, and maybe there's an injury factor that you need to sort of address as the season unfolds. I get that those are two factors. I, if you're going to use some of that space, I'd like to have this person in camp. Like that to me, like I'd like, if you're going to use all this space on a, on a, on an item that's going to cost you four or $5 million, I would like to see that person start out with John Hines and the new staff and the new roster all together at the same time. I think there's far more value there than going to get somebody in the trade deadline because we don't, the trade deadline, the trade deadline could be 20 games into the season, which would be very, unique right mm -hmm. 25 like we just don't the trade deadline could be so different this year that i i am more inclined to say all right if you're going to do it and you got that thing up your sleeve go do it now so that the team can be put together and be ready to go when the season starts that's fair i mean i, I think that's a reasonable argument to make um but uh, as david said a couple of weeks ago they have the flexibility so if there is an opportunity to improve the club he's going to do it um yep. so um, that's why I believe that this 
war chest of cap space that he has is not going to just sit there. So before we get to what should expectations be for the Nashville Predators, your expectations, my expectations, what do we think the fans should do about viewing this this team's job here uh, or, or expectations in 2021? Let's take a look at where the Athletic and all the writers think the expectation should be. We'll get to Vegas odds in just a second. Uh, this was, of course, done by, I believe, a whole host of writers in the NHL world in, on The Athletic, right, where you you basically polled a bunch of people. This is the offseason rankings where you have all the different people together voting on where these teams should be. And um, the, the categories are cup. You, you could land based on votes into a number of categories. And those categories are cup favorite, Cup contender, dark horse, playoff team, bubble team, outside looking in, not a playoff team, bottom feeder, lottery contender, lottery favorite, which is a lot of categories, by the way, Adam. It's a yes. lot of categories. Well, what's interesting <laughs> about how we did this um, was all of the staff voted. So we were given the opportunity to vote on all 31 teams and put them where we think they will ultimately fall. So okay. our statistical guru, Dom LeCision, also used his analytical model uh, to project certain things, but the rankings were based on, I believe, a combination of the staff rankings and Dom's analytics. Which is very cool, and they got cool little graphics in there too, so go go check that out. Number one, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the the cup favorite. Colorado Avalanche, number two uh, from the West Co- from the West Conference, Western Conference, and those are the only two in the cup, quote-unquote, cup favorite category. You got to scroll all the way down. You got to keep scrolling a little bit, keep scrolling past Washington and Edmonton and Calgary and Montreal and New York. By the way, uh, what, seven Canadian teams, right? So if you were going to do a division in Canada, it would actually work pretty well. Seven Canadian teams, yes. seven teams in a division. works pretty well. Uh, number 16 on the list, the Nashville Predators. And number one, my favorite part about the little graphic in the athletic story is that it looks like a giant middle finger. Be- because, <laughs> it does. Because you're, you essentially are split. There's like one or two people that think they can be a cup contender and a cup favorite. There are a couple of people, and again, I don't know the total votes here, a couple of people that think that this team is clearly not a playoff team. The vast majority of them have them placed, 46% of, of the vote has them placed as a bubble team, 19% has them you know, just below the bubble line, and 15% just above the bubble line. So you're talking about almost 70%-ish of, of the vote saying this team is on the edge of the playoffs, basically. The, the overall and ranking... The model like the staff better, but uh, yeah. the model like the Predators better than the staff. The did. overall ranking has them as a bubble team which honestly I think is a reasonable place for them to be. I, I personally think that this is still a I, I personally think that this is still a playoff team. Are they a favorite? By no means they are not a favorite. Um, but I, I still think there is enough talent on this roster for them to still be in the playoffs. Now I, like we said, we don't know what the season's going to look like. We don't know how many games it's going to be. We don't know what what the divisions are going to look like if they are going to be realigned or not. But under normal circumstances, I, I see this Predators team as being a wild card team. I, I don't see them winning the division. I don't see them finishing. Again, this is under the assumption that next season was just going to be a normal 82-game season. I wouldn't see them as a top three team in the Central Division. I would see them as a fourth or fifth place team in the Central and either a first or second wild card team in the Western Conference. That is based on, you know, Dom's work, which he has helped me with. 
um, as well as others. Um, looking at just the, the, the talent that has left and the talent that's been brought in, um, I, I think that this team will make the playoffs next season. But I do not think it will be a given. I do okay. think that they will make make you sweat a little bit, but ultimately get in. Which also led to a cup run one time. Correct. So, but that's the beauty of hockey, man. That is what makes hockey so much more fun, in my opinion, in the postseason than any any other sport. Where all and we've talked about it, all these other sports, you you don't see the greatest team in, fr- in regular season history get swept in the first round in other sports. It, it just doesn't happen. When the Patriots go undefeated, they go to the Super Bowl. When LeBron's in the fi- playoffs, they go to the finals. When the Tampa Bay Lightning set a record for wins, they get swept by Columbus in the first round. That is the difference in the NHL, in my opinion, in the postseason and almost any other sport. Baseball has a little bit of that. But college basketball, everyone loves the Cinderella's. Guess what happens? They all lose in the second round or the third round. It's still Kentucky and Duke playing in the championship most of the time. So, it, again, the NHL is different. Vegas agrees with your model, Adam. Okay. Vegas the, the, not the Golden Knights, <laughs> although they do too because they're picked very highly in this ranking. But the, the gamblers, the odds makers, although I guess we could say people in Tennessee now since we can gamble in Tennessee, the odds makers are telling you that the Predators to win the Stanley Cup are plus 2,700. Again, we're recording this the last week of October, so those odds could change. But plus 2,700 makes them the 14th overall team according to the Vegas odds to win the Stanley cup. And it makes them the seventh team, according to the Vegas odds to win the, to be in the Western conference. And it makes them the fourth team in the central division, Colorado, number one, Vegas, number two, St. Louis, number three, Dallas, number four, Edmonton, five, Calgary, six, Nashville, seven in order in the Western conference. Do you have a problem with that order? I do not. And just to go back to the athletics rankings, this is what Dom had to say, quote, no one knows what the Nashville Predators are going to be this season, so it's only fitting they land right in the middle at 16th <laughs> with a vote in seven, exclamation point, different tiers. Answers were all over the board when it came to the Predators, but the consensus is right here on the bubble. Losing Craig Smith and Mikhail Granlin hurts the team's forward depth, though their back end has been shored up with the additions of Mark Borowiecki and Matt Benning on the third pair. Scoring will be a problem, but if Nashville can commit to stout defense, a playoff berth definitely feels plausible. The Predators will be in the mix. I don't think there's anything unfair about that. No, I think that I think that this is a team that is going to win low-scoring, grind-em-out games. And, I, and we even saw that um, last season before the regular season uh, was paused. Um, I think under John Hines, the Predators, from the time he was hired through the end of the regular season, had the most one-goal wins in the NHL. Now, that doesn't mean 2-1 or one nothing. It could mean 4-3 or 5-4. But they had the most one-goal wins in the league from the time that John Hines was hired. Because I remember asking him about that in Montreal, which ended up being their last game of the regular season that I asked him that morning and he sort of chuckled and said, you know, we're not trying to win every game by one goal. We would prefer not to win every game right. by one goal, but the no, pre- three nothings are nice. Yes. Those are nice. The predators, you know, are going to win tight games. They, they, I have a feeling that this season, whenever it is, there will be a lot more low scoring tight games. You know, I wouldn't, I, I think this is a team that's more likely to win two to one than five to one or four to two. 
I, I, I just think that that's what is going to happen based on the talent they currently yeah. have. So we're going to put a pin in this conversation right there. That is the first half of our conversation. We have got a whole nother episode where we are going to go player by player and break down what we think expectations should be for players like Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, Philip Forsberg, Ellie Tolvanen, uh, Dante Fabro, UC Saros. We're going to go player for player. And then we'll take a look at what we think this team, the Nashville Predators, needs to accomplish in 2021 in John Hines' first season to be considered a success. But you got to wait until next week to get that episode because it was just so much content. We couldn't give it all to you this week. So we're going to give it to you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode, part one. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Follow him on Twitter, Adam Bingen, at Adam Bingen. You can follow me, Braden Gall, at Braden Gall. Please pay for good journalism. Go subscribe to The Athletic. Until next week, where you're going to get part two of the Season Expectations podcast right here on the Gold Standard and the 440 Sports Network.